following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. This week, as part of our ongoing federal election series, we'd like to welcome live in studio Kim Hoon, who is the candidate for the Kim for Canberra party. Um, he's vying for the uh, Senate seat in the ACT. We're also going to be uh, hosting Natasha Sojic from the Greens, and she's going to be joining us in about 10 minutes. So we'd like to start the show by welcoming Kim to the studio. Thanks for joining us. Kim is a uh, radio host himself, so we're going to pick up a few tips this morning, I think. <laughs> I doubt it. You'll find out uh, what not to do, but great to be with you as Zena and Scotty on BTL, People Powered Radio. Fantastic. So what we like to do to start our shows, before we get into your policies and your platforms and having those sorts of conversations, we'd like to know a little bit about you, Kim. And I guess we'd be calling you Kimbo now. That's what we've been instructed to do. Well, so we've got two Kims in the Kim for Canberra party. Absolutely. You get... To uh, be Kims for Canberra party. Kims for Canberra. You get yeah. double uh, the diversity, double the democracy and yeah. double the Kims. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm... Uh, I'm a dad, I'm a son, I'm a carer for my dad. Mm-hmm. I've lived in Canberra almost all of my life, in Belconnen mm-hmm. for almost all of my life. Yeah, I've got Belco's a 26... good spot to grow up. Yes, there's nowhere <laughs> else I flew there, I grew there. I've got a 2617 tattooed on my arm, so it means uh, a lot to me. And uh, Canberra means a lot to me too. We <laughs> came here when I was one and a half, almost two. No, I came here after two. We spent a lot of time in a refugee camp in Malaysia and we flew here. Uh, and um, we've been here ever since, since 1979, was sponsored by the Ainsley Church of Christ, right next to where Scotty parked his car this morning, as he told me, <laughs> and then made his way into the studio. Uh, and uh, it's been a blast. It's been a blast. We've had tough times here. Um, I, lived, I worked in a family bakery for about for ages, for 15, 16 years. Uh, so that I really... Um, um, Would it be Vietnamese bakery? Vietnamese yeah, bakery, yeah. of course. Fabulous food. Uh, well, it's okay. Yeah. No, fab- I can. I have said this uh, on my radio show, and people contested it for a while, but I think they were won over by the argument that Vietnamese food is the best food in the world. So, uh, and maybe some in- of the healthiest too, right? <laughs> well, I would say I, I would make a say of Vietnamese food. It is different in the sense that. As we eat it in Vietnam, almost every meal can be eaten for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And almost every meal is a fusion meal of different cultures because of the, um, because of the history of Vietnam. You know, we've had so many uh, influences. And uh, yeah, so, so Vietnamese food is great. Um, Canberra's been great to me and I'm running uh, in the 2022 election as a support candidate for Kim Rubenstein. Uh, as as a as for Canberra and for Kim, yeah, nice one, nice one. So, what do you? How do you think that uh, experience of being refugees affected your folks? Oh, big time! Uh, especially now, my my old man had a stroke um, six months ago, and that's why Kim and I have actually been thinking about doing something like this for quite some time. Uh, but my old man had a stroke, just took over my mum and my my whole family's life really, and me. I live with them uh, and my son, so. Um, I said to Kim and her family, look, I can't, I can't do this. Um, it's just uh, I've, uh, my life's changed. I can't um, run in for the Kim, Kim for Canberra party with you. She's incredibly understanding. She, you know, we've been mates for ages, uh, Kim Rubenstein and me, for 15 years. Um, and, uh, and she's just gone um, gangbusters by herself, right? So, so anyway, so um, that's my old man. But he's, he's had a stroke and all that trauma, it's, you know, you don't remember things in – uh, in a straight line, really. He, all the traumas from his past. He was actually displaced from when he was a kid. It was his first memory, running away from the French. 
And so uh, as I sit with him, he, he, the refugeeness just comes back to him all the time. But it's not, it's not necessarily uh, a bad thing. I'm an independent because I'm a refugee. Almost everything in my work and life is influenced by that. Even though I was only two, you know, it's really shaped me. I've shaped it too as I've studied what it means to be a refugee. So I'm independent. I don't really trust institutions that much. I don't go to, I don't go to parties. I don't belong to parties. I don't, I, they've got their place too, but they've got no place uh, for me, you know, I've, I was, I've always been a bit of a lone wolf, but also I felt a great sense of uh, of purpose and a sense of belonging in, in Canberra. Yeah, yeah. So you, you do have uh, a radio background as well. So uh, what uh, <laughs> what's that going on there? Well, listeners and people of ABC Radio Canberra work there with me would question my radio background. <laughs> I actually, um, I, I came into it, but I love it. Oh, you know, Scotty, too, you've been doing it for way longer than me. <laughs> it's because you have conversations like this. It's amazing. Like, it's bugger all the other platforms. TV's for stupid people, I reckon, right? <laughs> and, and, and books can sometimes be too hard. But radios, I've discovered, I've been working for ABC Radio Canberra, currently hosting the Sunday Brunch show. Uh, radio is just the Goldilocks because <laughs> it's like someone's talking to you, someone's listening to you. You, f- you have to fill in a few gaps, you know what I mean? You have to use your imagination, just that right amount. You can, If you're in the 20, busy 21st century, uh, middle-class, middle-aged life, you can listen to radio while you're doing other things. Yeah, walking you know? the dog, doing the yeah. dishes in the garden. <laughs> So, yeah, so I'm on Sunday brunch, 10 a.m. Obviously, I've I've taken a breather while I'm campaigning, but it's just been a blessing for me. I've worked so hard to get my skills. I've realised, you know this too, Scotty, it's a profession. You just don't come in and and gas bag and chin wag, right? It's an incredible profession that you have to build up um, over years. I've really worked hard to to, to work on my radio craft, um, to to compose and produce uh, hopefully a decent show for people that's different. And Sunday brunch is all about... Um, folks in the community, you know, uh, I often think if I wasn't a host, I'd be on the other side because it's wacky, it's wonderful, um, uh, it's um, it's hosts that, that really contribute to the community. They're the glue that keeps us together. I mean, guests that um, that contribute <laughs> to the community. Uh, hosts do nothing, don't they, Scotty? Yeah, so, that's right. Uh, I'm just inspired by them all the time. I'm humbled by them. Often, people who've been hard up, who've done series on on blokes, on queer folk on migrants, on refugees, on kids, on carers. did a huge series on carers and the people they care for, you know, and it's just opened up my world in, in many, many ways and uh, inspires me every week uh, working on Sunday Brunch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the theme of our show is we're talking to anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. So, uh, yeah, with doing the long format like this, you really get to know an awful lot of uh, what's going on in the community. Yeah, I envy you two big time, you know. We usually get like seven, eight minutes and you really have to... But but there is something about this uh, longer form and you get to fit in more guests of great substance uh, and character, for example. (laughs) Yes, and we have joining us now um, our Greens candidate for Fenner, Natasha Shalajic. That was a lovely introduction. Thanks, Kimba. I'll try my best. (laughs) You can host the show if you'd like. You can be working on it. You made too much money for me. Yeah, welcome to the show, Natasha. It's lovely to have you here. And I'll just let our listeners know, Natasha and I both stuck in a traffic incident this morning and I got in by the skin of my teeth. Thankfully, Scotty was here. And and Natasha's uh, now with us in studio. So... We were all taking a big deep breath and uh, ready to go. Thank you. Thank you, Zeno and Scotty. And thank you very much. That was a really lovely segue. I can tell you're a professional at this, um, Cambo. 
Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you all for having me here You're today. Welcome. It's um, really exciting. This campaign has been uh, a real learning experience for me, and yeah, listening to the constituents around um, Fana and Canberra and what they're going through. Um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty awesome. I don't know what you think, Kim. Is it Kim? Yeah, Kim. Kimbo. Kimbo. I'm Kimbo. easy going. I'm easy going. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's been great. Um, I, I, I campaign mostly in your area too, so um, I, I found it uh, really really enriching. I mean, I sort of do the same thing anyway. It's sort of a working holiday for me. Uh, but uh, we can talk so about what I do. Drinking but coffee or chai and talking to people. Well, I, I, yeah, Kim uh, uh, is. Um, there must be supply chain issues with chai. The way she's going, meeting up with people. <laughs> I, I'm more. I sort of um, just ride my bike. I ride my bike and and got a big three meter flag um, uh, on it. Uh, and I just try to uh, raise awareness. I try to give people something to smile about when they're stuck in traffic, like you two folk. <laughs> you know, it's a cheery sort of thing. But it's, I must admit, there is a, a sense to it for me. Uh, of I'd do it if there were no votes in it, to be honest, because it's my time to get me exercise done. Often, sometimes I'll listen to the news. Sometimes uh, I'll, I'll just try to come up with ideas uh, for the campaign. Uh, but mostly I'll just have a wave to people. As I said, try to give them a, um, a, a bit of a WTF moment in the day. What's going on there? Uh, and I get to see my hometown, you know. What's, what's not to like? Uh, it's, in some ways it's a great opportunity to do that. Uh, but it's also an important way to, to raise awareness about our campaign and hopefully uh, people will go to the website and find out more. How have you found it? Natasha? Uh, probably a little bit different to you with what you say. I have been um, doing a lot of stalls in uh, Gungalan and Belconnen and it's been it's been a bit shocking for me. Um, I've been doing a lot of stalls in Charnwood and around Kipak Shopping Centre and there's a lot of people out there that are struggling, especially with the cost of living. Um, you mentioned that you've been interviewing carers and speaking mm -hmm. to people. I myself am a carer for a Vietnam War vet. I'm currently on the mm -hmm. uh, carer's pension right now, um, uh, which is something we can come back to mm -hmm. later, my my work situation. Mm -hmm. But um, they're just listening to people in Chanwood doing their shopping and then telling me about having to, you know, cut into their child's disability support payments and mm -hmm. their children's Centrelink payments that should be going to them so they have more accessibility at school and to kind of improve their lives. And they're uh, using that uh, income support to help pay their rent um, to keep a roof over their heads in places like Charnwood. Um, it's just been, it's been really tough for me um, listening to how our community is really suffering and where they need help and where there are gaps in the system and um, thinking of how I can step up and, um, you know, what, what I can bring awareness to to, to help um, people in these mm. situations but then at the same time so I'm doing this in the in the daytime in the mornings and in um, uh, afternoons after school is when people would come up and talk to me about kind of what's going on in their lives and it's really um, 
eye-opening and I wish a lot more politicians uh, would, would do the same, really listen mm. to what people are going through and um, and make policies based on that. But then also the, the juxtaposition and the contrast of that being um, invited to a lot of lobbyist events, being wined and dined and having them tell you about, you know, why they need funding to do X, Y and Z. And it's just, um, it's it's been really hard just seeing that wealth inequality the contrast of it in Canberra as well, a place that I love and somewhere I chose to live. And, um, yeah, it, it's it's been a big shock to me. And um, at the moment I'm just trying to wrap my head around what I can do as an individual to help people, like every constituent in Fenner, but then also how I can uh, lobby, you know, or, you know, speak to my colleagues in the ACT Legislative Assembly um, and how they can help. And then also um, perhaps after the election, I can speak to um, the uh, the people that are elected, the elected representatives, and kind of pass on to them the feedback that I've been hearing at stalls. Mm. So perhaps we could talk a little bit about your background, Natasha. So um, I know that you've got... Um, background in engineering and environmental science but mm. you've had to step away from that as part of your campaigning like I believe you you took um, a labouring job to absolutely give yourself the time <laughs> to campaign so that's quite a story would yeah. you like to share that with us yeah so it, it may not be time but I think more so I was working as a public servant uh, <laughs> just before the election um was uh, no, actually a year before the election was called but with the Greens we did our pre-selections quite early last year because we weren't sure of when uh, they were going to call the election. We thought maybe December. Even, yeah, right? yeah, or even earlier than that. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know. But as it turns out, in hindsight, it was called at the last minute on the very last day possible. <laughs> so um, I have been pre-selected for 15 months now. It's been quite a journey. I've learned a lot and I wouldn't... Um, change that experience for anything but it's thrown some really hard life lessons at me uh I I declared uh at the um so I was a contractor at a department uh and I declared that I was a pre-selected candidate and they said everything was fine and okay but it wasn't until uh, a media release went out in June last year uh, announcing me as the pre-selected candidate for Fenner that uh, there was um, some meetings called in at work about a perceived conflict of interest, um, which unfortunately meant that I um, could no longer uh, work there as a contractor. And then since then I've been going between uh, jobs um, and then again they say it's all fine once I declare that I'm a candidate, but then eventually something goes out in the media and they feel uncomfortable about the situation and what it means for them or their company. But, yeah, I've been doing some really uh, crazy things uh, for money these days. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, I'm on the carer's pension looking after a friend's father who has Alzheimer's and was a Vietnam War vet and... um, he was actually a, a, a press a press photographer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. What a, what a great story! I've got to say, an <laughs> incredible story from Natasha. Yeah. We often poo-poo on our politicians yeah. and people running, yeah. but and then I've read your piece. I read it. I remember reading it in in the Canberra Times and what you've given up and the persecution you faced mm-hmm. really. Uh, of being uh, running for running for local office, trying to do something for your community. It's incredible. So, you know, as I said, we poo-poo on our politicians, but really this election is different. There's some quality people, including Natasha, questionable me, but there's some quality people you can vote for. You just have to uh, dig into their stories a little more. Look how much Natasha's given up for, for us. Yeah. You know? Well, it's that's what I think incredible. about the independents, the Greens. You guys walk your talk. 
right? You didn't go to private school in Melbourne. No, it's I didn't. not you're not part of the privileged boys club. Yeah, exactly. We could do something else. It's easier. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's something we're not we're, we didn't we did, we're not lobbyists from way back. We didn't our parents didn't do the same thing as us. You yeah. know. Well, we're self-made in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, it's mm. a respect to us. Respect to us. Respect. Well, Put you, respect on some, your name. Yeah. <laughs> you've actually got some experience of, of remaking yourself, uh, Kimbo, because I, I saw a picture of you yes. in 2016 <laughs> yes. as, as the Belko Batman. Yeah, I've done the Belko <laughs> Batman. Um, so, I mean, that, that means it is remaking yourself. I, I, I teach philosophy too, and I'm like, there's nothing like... Uh, and even for a party where a lot of your badging's done for you already, but but particularly it's an impendent, but it's nothing like putting your hand up and saying, this is really, I'd l- listeners, think about this. You can imagine putting your hand, just saying to everyone, all your mates, everyone you know and you don't know, this is what I believe in. This is what I believe in. That is a huge um, remaking of oneself, presenting of oneself. Well, it's know? a big risk, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So, so it is. It's just a huge risk. And 2016 was uh, a dream for me in many ways because I, I didn't have a radio job then. I didn't have, you know, I wasn't high profile or anything else. I was vice president of my tennis club. That was about as much as I ever was. You know? <laughs> I don't believe you were captain of your final year in Durham Island. Too. I was, but I wasn't a good one. Not like Kim Rubenstein, but we both have that in common. Uh, Kim, Kim was a Jewish. Um, uh, 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 school captain and a very memorable one. Like people still quote her speech from when she was in year twelve. You know, um, at PLC, a very uh, distinguished and, and righteous. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I did I did sneak around was, yeah, on your um, Facebook and say that your Dara alumni said if you manage to capture the captain's vote at Dara, the Senate's going to be a breeze. Well, yes, I think I think this, that's that's being complimentary. So I was a sort of out of place there. But as I reflect upon it, I. My year was out of place. You know, my mates from back then are still my mates now. Mm-hmm. And and there's other people I've... I don't really do social media, but I, I met a couple mm-hmm. of people on Facebook I haven't met for 25 mm-hmm. years. And we had an amazing year that, that does explain my my odd ascendance to mm-hmm. the school captaincy because it, it was it was a different school back then, mm-hmm. but it was all boys till year um, 11 and 12. So it was what it was it was a, a blokey school football matted then girls come in year 11 and 12 and they were sort of different times but i would think by and large the 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 popular people were the beautiful people and the first 15 football players but not our year because i met a, a a guy recently i hadn't seen in a while and i said oh geez i, I like you and your mates that you hang around they were awesome it was nice to um to always um have a sausage roll with them they were quirky and they were sort of out of place. They were sort of nerdish in a lovable way. And he was like, no, I thought you were the nerds. You know, so we were just nerds. This is a vision for Australia and Canberra. Yeah. We were just all different sorts of nerds. And I, and, and well, it's I was, Rise of the Nerds. Rise of the Nerds, but, but not in a snarky, awful nerds, but you know, sort of lovable ones. And, yeah, and even half of oh, the metalheads of Belco were hippies. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So it was a different year. So I pay tribute to my uh, the, the class of 95 yeah. at Durham Island for all being nerds. And I was yeah. there. Too. Well, the world's chief nerd just bought Twitter this week. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. He's a snarky nerd. I'm not so sure about him. <laughs> yeah. But uh, there you go. Yeah, so, Natasha, um, oh, God, what was I going to ask you? Well, yeah, yeah. Why did you choose to join a party rather than run as an independent? Well, I think joining the party came first. Well, it did It did come first. There's no I think about that. I've been involved in the Greens since I um, started university in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, 
at uh, La Trobe in Bandura. Mm. So I, yeah, I grew up in regional Victoria um, in Wodonga and um, there just wasn't much there for me. Um, I'd done everything I could for the, for the environment there. I mean, I'd, at a Wodonga Children's Fair, I handed out 1,000 trees <laughs> for, for people to plant at their homes because I won a, a Wodonga Council um, award for uh, leadership. And I just felt like everything that I could do there had been done. And then when I moved to Melbourne, being the first person in my family to go to university, that was huge. And while I was at university, I, I started to realise some things <coughs> some inequalities I suppose um, that my students and my peers uh, like the experiences they had in their lives that I hadn't um, being a daughter of refugees especially and being the first person to go to university I picked all my own subjects I had to kind of navigate my way around university myself for the first time and that was really quite scary without feeling I had I knew I had support but I but I didn't really have people behind me that kind of knew what I was going through and then contrasting that with people who had their brothers and sisters and their parents that had gone to university it was um it, it was really, uh, yeah, I just, I started to understand inequality in a different way and in a kind of a firsthand way. And then I uh, joined the Greens Club on campus because I, yeah, we had that in common and those similarities. And we did a, a bit of campaigning around university and in that local community. And then um, I became the president of the Greens Club at La Trobe and uh, and then after university, you know, I started my career as an environmental engineer and um, I was still involved in the, in the, as a member of the Greens. And then um, when I moved to Canberra, I, I just transferred my membership. The opportunity came up to apply for pre-selection and I did. <laughs> and then I got voted in. So that's kind of how it happened. I just, this party is one that aligns with my my values and my morals I mean the the treatment of asylum seekers and refugees is something that is really that really hurts me because I know my parents came here to give my brother and I a better life and that's something I want to transfer to the rest of you know Canberra and Australia I want to help everyone here live that better life that my parents came and sought from this country and you know when I when I'm at Charnwood that I was speaking earlier when I'm at these places talking to constituents and they're not kind of living that that life that my parents envisaged for me that was better than you know Bosnia I, it just it it really hurts and I, I really want to make a change and make a difference and I feel like the, the Greens is probably the best place that can support me and mm. to, to achieve that. Mm. And what I love about both your parties is that you have a very, very strong policy in supporting refugees coming into the country and advocating for fan, fair treatment and ending offshore detention and all of that. So um, th there's a lot of similarities between uh, Kim for Canberra and the Greens in the, the ethical side of your policies, but where, where do you differ? This is, this is the one I, I, I found quite interesting because I was reading that there's so many shared values, which is wonderful. But I'm trying to think, well, if someone's really trying to decide and they want the same things that both of you are proposing and both parties are proposing, how would they make that choice to differentiate between the two? Well, um, this, this is for me, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. well, we're for Canberra. We're, we're for Canberra. Like Canberra... Uh, and Kim has a huge amount of policies. In many ways, I came into this late. I was saying to Scotty before 
because uh, I've been thinking about it for a long time with Kim, but um, mm. my old man was crook, so I've come mm-hmm. in this late. But Kim's got this huge array uh, of policies. Like an independent would never have that many policies because remember, we're not v- trying to be in government. Mm. We're trying to keep people to account, right? Uh, and she's, but she's still come up with, inc- and it's not even in her self-interest. If you were cynical with Kim and our party, you'd say you'd spend a lot more time on name recognition. Mm-hmm. You'd spend less time on policy. But but we are for Canberra. Canberra is the only jurisdiction that doesn't have any independent representation mm-hmm. uh, at any level. You know, um, it's, it was a greenwash in 2020, Natasha. As wonderful <laughs> as you are, you know, there's heaps of greens floating around in governments in in Canberra. But there's no independence whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. So we've four Canberra. Kim's Kim's a constitutional lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Even we've been mates for 15 years, and and even over the campaign period, I've been uh, even more amazed by her. She's come up with a bill. It's ready to go. What do I mean by we're four Canberra? Anyone can take this up. She's got a bill to increase our Senate representation from two to four, which is which is not even enough in my no, view. But it's when you've got fifteen in other places. That's right. right. Yeah. Uh, and other people would say, well, New South Wales only has twelve seats in the Senate, but they've got local government too. They've got uh, democracy oozing out of all sorts of holes where we've just got blockage and blockage. So so we've, that's ready to go. So I think that's one of the differences. We're we're for Canberra. I mean, if it was me, I'm really just here cheerleading for Kim in many ways. I call myself the tofu. Uh, it's interesting to see what a support candidates the tofu she's got this great concoction this great meal that, that's got policy that's got uh, personal expertise character drive and, and I, I just the flavor carrier a flavor carrier well, a bit of protein a bit. too a bit of protein yeah. too tofu has flavor yeah. maybe i just eat bland tofu uh, uh, scotty scotty you like your tofu oh i prefer it with other things <laughs> Need sauce? You need to put sauce in it. Yeah, yeah, all that sort of things. Yeah. But for me, I'm not, not that bad. global. I'm a parochial bugger. You know, the, the Greens have this, this global ethos that's uh, about peace, uh, that's uh, 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 about environmentalism and things like that. I really, I, I wouldn't leave Belconnen if I didn't have to go to work. Um, you know, that's where I belong. So, so I, I don't really go for the global ethos. I'm, I'm for Canberra. Kim's for Canberra. And, and that's quite a significant difference thing, uh, too. We're probably a little more uh, libertarian and conservative, too. The purple speaks to our genuine position between the red and the blue. I guess the, the difference I noticed was that the, um, the Greens very much are involved in wanting to tackle the way Australia has been handling its defence budget. Like, that was something I noticed the Greens were particularly looking at maybe halving the defence mm. budget and relocating the money elsewhere. Is, is that correct or am I way off here? Look, I'm going to be honest. I personally, with my view, I think we could be doing a lot better uh, in terms of efficiency when it comes to defence. I mean, we're spending so much money in defence and yet they still don't seem to have the support that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I should preface this mm-hmm. by saying, you know, the, one of the four pillars of the Greens is peace and non-violence. So we... Uh, prefer to go by um you know we want to increase diplomats and you know have Mm -hmm. that kind of diplomatic um preventative rather than you know the defense defensive but yeah it's just it's just something you really need to look at and it's something I should spend more time investigating I think because you talk to anyone from defense and uh, yeah, from my experience, it's uh, hearing people recount recount um, uh, like what's going on is that you know all this money was spent on submarines and yet they still lack 
some basic services and support. Mm-hmm. I've been, um, yeah, talking to a couple of people from the from defence that. So this this is the enlisted military members who are not receiving support. Is that that, is that what you're hearing? So Sorry, it, Scotty. <laughs> so it would be, it would be the, the the serving members who are not receiving the support, the serving military. Is that what no, saying? I think it within the department okay. is what I'm hearing. Mm. So mm. you know, a lot of money is being spent there, and I just like to look at look at it more in depth mm-hmm. because, um, yeah. Do you have any comments? Well, Kim's been uh, talking about uh, this quite strongly, and the China's obviously a huge <laughs> issue right now. She's she's been. I think what's important for Kim and our party is that that we have human security. The security is a huge issue for Australia. It's a huge issue for our party. But we, we what we abhor is it being politicised. You know, to win to to make people fearful. This is what we're talking about refugees, and and we're talking and you can see it now. The drums of war always beating. They're not, mate. They're not, mate. You're beating them so that you can win votes. So that's what we've been really and defence contracts on, you know? that are worth a lot of money. That's right. right. You know? So we're we're huge on security, but it should be human security uh, and, and and real security that, that actually make us feel mm. more secure and are more secure rather than drumming up threats about, for instance, uh, people who are who are just looking um, uh, to 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 for security in their lives and mm. running away from persecution mm. and discrimination as if they're going to brawl bring crime and bring a disease to our shores mm. or as if we're really you really you're really going to save them at sea mm. is that really your purpose why would you have a trophy in your office that said that I'd stop these if and just has boats and dehumanize them mm. like that and and make them uh, somehow attribute to your machismo uh, if you're really about saving lives at sea, mm. you know there's an argument there, but it's uh, mm. but but the, uh, the way they make it, the way mm. they 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 stir up um, fear and division mm. about it is is yeah. reprehensible. Oh, I love that um, both Kim and another uh, Greens candidate, Dr. Janara Goring Goring, mm. both met for the first time, I believe, at the refugee rally, the Palm Sunday rally. Yeah, great photo. Of them and it was just wonderful to hear that, like that advocacy that both of you, both your parties, supporting something so that's really been sitting there stagnating for the last few decades. Mm. I mean, I'm looking at the two majors and what they're saying about their policies of refugees doesn't sound too different to me than what they were saying 20 years ago. Mm. You know, it hasn't really moved forward. As Scotty said, it's gone backwards. I'm not even sure. Like uh, uh, 20 years ago around the Tampa and there was global terrorism of various sorts too. I think people were really scared about it then, but I don't know even know if the punters buy it now. You know what I mean? It's, it's actually harder for them. I don't know if the punters buy it now. Now the governments would say that um, oh, everyone, but the people are getting lax and lazy about our borders. No, we just don't buy it anymore, mate. We just don't buy it anymore. You know, we can't I reckon damage people like that and then say that that we're doing a good thing. So I reckon we can mix the the permaculture for refugees to train people up in the refugee camps. Then we can bring them in, bring in John D. Liu and start setting up ecosystem restoration camps around the country. And that way we can use these people. They can come in, have you something useful to do, uh, a way to try and get a lot of that trauma and stuff out <laughs> through planting trees and being in the bush and working hard and we restore the landscape at the same time. I mean, we can do these things. Yeah, there's already yeah. projects of refugees in regions um, are working well, connecting with families. Yeah. Yeah, and there's the Billawila family, of course, but many, many uh, examples of when they've been. And that's my family too and your family too. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, yeah at Mildura, they got the, uh, oh, what are they called? There's a farming co-op out there. 
which is, yeah. Yeah, and there's a stepping stone that teaches the refugees how to um, start food industries, yeah, food yeah. businesses, mm. and that's out at uh, Strathnan and Belconnen, which is yeah, wonderful. Yeah, we've talked to heaps yeah, of these organisations yeah, over the yeah, years. Yeah. 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 So, Nadaja, you're a great tree planter as well. So here we are am, talking about uh, campaigns for trees. So um, is that something that you started up in your community or is that sort of a long-term thing you've been doing all your life? I think I recognised my passion for the environment when I was 14 um, I, it just became obvious to me, you know, we need t- trees to, to breathe. They provide us with oxygen and yet we're cutting them down and we're emitting uh, fossil fuels and carbon emissions. I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't add up. So as a as a 14-year-old back then, I was like, this doesn't make sense. So, yeah, I became involved in my um, local council in Wodonga and in uh, all community groups and started participating in, um, yeah, environmental and sustainability groups and doing lots of volunteering. It's something I've continued for the rest of my life. I mean, I studied environmental science at university and, um, you know, locally here in where I live in Moncrief, um, I'm involved with the Landcare Group and uh, the, the leader approached me about a sludge pit that was there mm-hmm. that was um, causing a lot of odour and being, you know, uh, people were littering in and, um, yeah, it was just accumulating a lot of rubbish from all, from all the sludge that was being dumped there and that was getting into the local rivers and creeks. And Is that from construction or...? Uh, I, I'm unsure of the source. I think, uh, it's, so it's local, it's owned by the ST government. So it's wherever they have, um, works, they then dump the sludge Mm -hmm. and then, um, there's also rubbish in that and it accumulates. But what you see happen is, you know, with our land care group, every Sunday morning we go out and pick up rubbish and litter, but most of it's coming from the sludge pit which um, isn't contained properly. So mm-hmm. when the wind comes, it blows all the rubbish into the nearby creek and then it just spreads all over Moncrief and Nunnawal. So that's something we've been working really hard. And that um, combined with the Tarago incinerator blowing toxic fumes all over Nunnawal. Oh, what a geez. lovely concoction we've got yeah. going at the moment. No, but you, Scotty, you mentioned permaculture. I have a permaculture design certificate. <coughs> yeah, Is that something nice. you're yeah, involved, yeah. involved in? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got mine many years ago, yeah, mm-hmm. with, with Mr. Holmgren and a couple of others. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Where did you do that? I did it in Melbourne. In Melbourne, yeah. Um, with, yeah, just a little local, local, local group. Crew, yeah. yeah, they were based off in series. Mm-hmm. You know, series. Oh, series is yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yep. So that's wonderful. I mean, there's so much that can be done. Like we're talking about, you know, trying to preserve the land and not clearing all the trees and, you know, not building these urban heat islands, you know, with these new developments that we're seeing popping up that all look like carbon copies of each other. Um, so I, I just noticed that this week, um, Senator said Seselja, um, who has been now motivated to make some changes that he didn't do in the last four years, um, or claim he's going to if he's re-elected, has been talking about releasing land for homes. And I think he's talking about like releasing, it's in Belconnen area, your area there. Kim, and he's talking about um, approximately 2,000 blocks for family homes. I mean, is this, is this going to be like just straight out clearing and building these carbon copy concrete things again? Like, what, what are we, you know, what are we going to propose to the housing shortage and the housing crisis we have here? Is it about taking land from the CSIRO and just mass building on it, or is there a better way to do this? 
Yeah, well, I, I'm a keen listener to ABC Radio Canberra where they've covered this quite a lot. And my understanding is, and from living in that area and seeing developments, uh, Natasha's in Moncrief, it takes, that's, that'll take ages. It even takes two or three years just to get the infrastructure in place, let alone when the houses are going to come. So uh, I'm, 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 so I'm for that. There's not a whole lot of greenery there as far as I can see already. So I'm for the development, but it's sort of an easy promise to make, really. It won't come for a long time. won't address housing crisis that we have now um, as I understand it it's rather simple mm. in terms of the crisis it just needs more money into social housing mm. and, and us as a community to accept that that, that social housing is uh, as necessary and enriching for our communities mm. too so so um, that, uh, don't get me wrong that's not necessarily a bad thing mm. but there have been some as I mm. read the paper some question marks uh, over its implementation mm. and how viable it is. Well, it doesn't sound like it's going to be for social housing. Mm. It definitely sounds like it's going to be a bit of a bidding war for the blocks based mm. on previous history there. Just, when they, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Sorry, talk. just on that, I have actually been in touch with the Belconnen Community Council and they mm-hmm. have personally reached out to me and um, Dr. Dinara Gorangarang to kind of brief us about this specific issue. And I just I just really hope uh, Zed Sasoja just just listens to the Belconnen Community Council about their concerns about this project and and what they want to see happen. Um, From my understanding, from the conversation I had with uh, the leader of the Belconnen Community Council is they would like to see some real leadership on this issue. They would like someone, you know, from the federal to sit all the stakeholders down in a room and so they can talk through the issues rather than just uh, just going out in the media and saying I'm going to do X, Y and Z without asking anyone. We've, we've, we've seen this a lot before. I can't just come out and say I'm going to fix this, this and this without actually consulting the people about, you know, do you want this fixed? What do you want done? There needs to be a lot of community consultation involved before you just go out and make these statements. I think generally um, building more homes is a good idea. Um, The Greens have a policy to build one million affordable homes to kind of um, help uh, offset the um, housing crisis. Um, but I, I just I just don't think it's wise to to um, pick like a, a section of land that's kind of being it's kind of got a bit of a dispute at the moment or something that needs some real leadership. They what what they want is they want to all sit down in a room and kind of talk through the the logistics um, between the stakeholders and I think that's what they want more than just a promise that you're going to mm. release that land and develop on it because mm. that that actually caused a lot of anxiety um, in in Belcon and with the with the constituents mm. especially around that area so yeah what I just, were some of their key concerns I think some of their they key raised? yeah their key concerns mm. was that the the stakeholders don't seem to be on the same page. I think they just want everyone sat in the room so they can, you know, get it straight and talk through and kind of come up with a plan with with what to do. Um, as you mentioned, Kimbo, um, it's it's been covered by the ABC a lot. It, it's not it's not something you can just go out and say I'm going to develop on here. You, you really need to listen to the to the people. I just yeah, I just wish um, politicians before they go out and say I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, they they complete the community consultation and they go through a proper consultation process before they make promises. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I guess that sort of comes into the, the saying that power is a measure of your ability to contribute to your society. And, and what are some of the other barriers that regular people face when they want to contribute to society in, in Canberra? Mm-hmm. What, 
Oh, Natasha's good on this. So that she can get <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I think some barriers is uh, time in Canberra. I mean, time um, and I think just the accessibility of public transport. I have a friend who lives in Harrison and she really uh, wants to volunteer with lots of animal shelters and cats. And, you know, there's a place in Florey that she wants to volunteer at. But it's just like for her to take two buses and the light rail. I just think we need to make um, public transport more accessible and... Yeah, and, you know, especially with what we went through this morning, Zena, like Northbourne was crazy. And um, for us coming from the north or the south, trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, come into the city centre, I think Mm -hmm. there should be more options, um, public transport Mm -hmm. options. So I think, yeah, if people want to do better, uh, sorry, service the community, Mm -hmm. we need to um, provide a lot of opportunities for that, Mm -hmm. but then also make it accessible for them to, um, you know, reach their destination safely Mm -hmm. and... Um, all those sorts of things. And lighting at bus stops. Like I don't, Absolutely. Both of you are big on safety for women. Kim's yeah. policies are the I'll say quickly yeah. about participation. Yeah. Uh, Kim and the Kim for Canberra Party, we're driven by active citizenship and participatory mm-hmm. democracy. Mm-hmm. And, and the latter one in particular mm-hmm. is a big word, but it's not that difficult. Mm-hmm. And Kim's um, and our party have, have really tried to live and exemplify that, you know. A key um, uh, policy for us is that climate compact. Mm-hmm. And we had a great forum in this very building at the Griffin Centre, bringing together all different sort of people to, to listen to each other. Uh, with the ex- And in some ways it was informed by the example um, uh, of the Uluru Statement and the process, and Kim's written about this at length, the process in which our First Nations people got together to have that historic document. You know, one of the best... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, pieces of writing uh, in Australian history as far as we're concerned. So we're all about active citizenship and we came up with this climate compact. It's an example of what can happen uh, throughout the city and uh, throughout Australia of people coming together, not leaving anyone behind and making things happen uh, and making sure that uh, politicians are held to account through budgetary measures, uh, through pledges and through just discussion and agreement Mm -hmm. and compromise Mm -hmm. and a sense that we're all together. So Mm -hmm. I I think uh, that's one of the barriers that we're trying to overcome, Mm -hmm. that uh, uh, through our example of of active citizenship Mm -hmm. and having a real positive Mm -hmm. energy. Kim Mm -hmm. is unrelentingly positive. I'm actually a pretty grim bugger. (laughs) But she's just (laughs) incredibly positive, Mm -hmm. bringing people together, drinking chai, people who don't like her, people who are entitled uh, she meets with them all the time. They're heavy hitters. She can rub shoulders with them uh, and the ordinary folk uh, too, like most of us. Uh, she can make things happen. She's done that like um, through, through that compact, as an example, uh, but also uh, she's obviously great on integrity. I really, um, I'm high on Kim. I'm huge on Kim. I sort of think... Um, well, I'm, talking about myself. I'm not talking about myself. Yeah. I'm talking about Kim Rubenstein. <laughs> when, when, I, when I've been saying to people, and I really believe this, if you think about it, who else would you vote for in the Senate? Yeah. There's other great candidates. I really want to emphasise that. But you don't have to look at her CV. You can have a quick squeeze. But she's a constitutional lawyer, you know. She's got a boundless positivity. And yeah, she's got and policy ready to go. Policy ready to go. And particularly yeah. in the Senate, yeah. you know, um, particularly in the Senate, where it's a house of review. Mm-hmm. She, amazingly too, I've been struck by, struck by, she can really read. Not many of us actually read that deeply like her. And, but she really reads stuff as we, we get to our campaign together. There's a lot of paperwork too, actually. That's one of the barriers. There's a lot of paperwork. There's money involved too, <laughs> yeah, to become a candidate, let alone the incredible amounts of money you have to do to, um, um, to campaign. But she, she's on top of that, you know. What, and... Uh, 
Um, uh, but we've got the cheap and cheery too. Like my the bike that I've been riding is like at ten bucks. I picked it up at the green shed. I got comics and some frames for it too. So I want to. We we are we are and Natasha agrees with me. We are a bit off more than a bit off put by the money that's required, mm-hmm. the money that's injected into Well, just the money into core flutes you know? for the majors. I mean, that alone. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my, my 80 buck flag is a replacement for, I reckon, thousands mm-hmm. of dollars of core flutes. Yeah, hopefully. yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, but I you guess with money, we, we, um, we should just cover what the Climate 200 is because that keeps coming up. <laughs> <laughs> we always get questions about that because yeah, yeah, the yeah. intermation in Climate 200 is <laughs> set up by Simon. And Hunter, there's a lot, I've just said, there's a lot of inf- misinformation out there, there about is, that. There so we'd like to... Clear the air with I, that I've one. been in meetings with Kim, uh, sort of with those lot. She does most of uh, of, uh, of that wonderful fundraising. Mm-hmm. It's record that's required, uh, but we get small. Uh, we get it's often it's in kind. I mean, it's in kind stuff, but often um, um, Climate Two Hundred will save uh, if you can raise this much from small donations. Mm-hmm. Um, or we'll give you something uh, to match that. Mm-hmm. But they, they haven't uh, re- they haven't pushed this anyway in terms of mm-hmm. policy. I know people think it's like a party because they're um, they're funding people. Well, it's not really. I, I think there's a different way to understand independence now too. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily it's it's they're just people who are not party aligned mm-hmm. and who are embedded in their community. Uh, and and I, I think I've I've I'm a Vietnamese background mm-hmm. and I was chatting to um, a Vietnamese Australian forum full of wonderful go-getting spit in your face out of suburbs Viets who are kicking goals right and they were like poo-pooing on the teal candidates and, and I suppose Kim in a way too that you're all rich high-profile women and, and but Kim acknowledges that but she also knows like change takes a while it takes hard work you're not going to suddenly get um, the disenfranchised disabled refugee being prime minister but you've got to build pathways to that and people got to put the lay the foundation and Kim and I recognise that too we're incredibly privileged uh, even though we're both uh, you know first in, you know, even though we have wonderfully um, diverse and, and sort of hard backgrounds and times but you know what I mean we're incredibly privileged now but at least we're looking out she's we're looking out for others, and she's been. A, she's a constant. She's a citizen law expert too. She's fighting for thirty thousand people who are trapped overseas. She's fighting for people who, who are not worth votes, and people don't care about. And I've done that too as a teacher of refugee politics. You know, so it's not all about um, the mainstream for us. But there's value for all of us of doing the right thing by people in need, and also really of diversity of bringing people on the margins. Uh, into the centre and and seeing what they have to contribute and learning from them. Listening to you speak just now, it's, yeah, I can tell your excitement and it's just awesome, but it just makes me so proud to be part of the Greens where we don't accept money from corporate um, corporate sponsors. We don't. We don't accept corporate donations. And that's because you're cashed up already. Well, we don't have to. Me, about that. I not you. No. I don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> I got yeah, my yeah. two fifty payment yesterday. <laughs> the uh, the what, what do they call it? The um, it, the cost of living. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, cost yeah. of living. Yeah. No, kudos for you personally. But I've got to say, it's so hard to set something up from scratch. Yeah. That's, what I, that's what I like about the Indies. You got to set something up. You're just you're screaming into a black hole for most of the time. 
You're up against people with millions of dollars. You're up against billionaires, people with with you know, football stars, and not just yeah, but uh, not, not us. Yeah, not you. Well, we can be mates, but don't get me wrong. But besties. Uh, but you're be- <laughs> be besties. We'll have chai. I have oat chai. Yeah, yeah, in from Falco. what I've seen, though, that I, I've noticed that the, um, the Greens actually preference the Kim for Canberra mm. party is uh, second on the ballot. So we did. There's, there's a lot of alignment in what you're both doing because I think there's some altruistic motivation in wanting to run, ultimately the goal is to get the solution that we're all after, which is, you know, just... fix politics, look after the environment, care for the vulnerable, you know, all those all those values, I think, across the board, both if you share those. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just so proud that we pre-selected a First Nations woman, mm-hmm. my dear friend, Dr. Janara Gorengoreng. Mm-hmm. I think she would be the most amazing senator Australia has ever seen. <laughs> um, no, I'm being serious. No. She is well, an awesome, kind person. We need more Senate seats so we can have person. more awesome people representing us in the she Senate. She is just you know? probably the most amazing person, mm-hmm. and her daughter Erika is the most mm-hmm. amazing young woman, mm-hmm. single mother mm-hmm. of a of a toddler. Mm-hmm. Like Janara has like the most amazing life story, mm-hmm. and I think if everyone just sat down and listened to her, I can't wait for her to be on this show because she is truly well, we amazing. We have her next, next Friday. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the just goal. A yeah. whistleblower. A, just a generous, kind, loving person. She's. I've gotten to know her really well over the past 15 months um, since I uh, was pre-selected and she's just been an amazing mentor and I'm just so proud that we have pre-selected her and I, I'd really like to see her up there and succeed. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think it's, you know, really great um, to have more kind of diversity in backgrounds and not just um, I'm not talking about um, ethnic backgrounds but also uh, from work and um, sectors Mm -hmm. that people have worked in and work experience I mean um, there's a lot of you know people that studied politics and you know law law in in parliament and Mm -hmm. I think it'd be really cool to have you know someone like Janara in or even myself I mean I studied environmental science and you know this is the climate change election it's the climate change is the most important issue that um the community has said that they care the most about this election I mean there's a lot that I can contribute especially you know with my age I am 25 and the average age of Australians is 37 the average age of parliamentarians is 51 I mean I'd really like to see a lot more diversity on all levels um you know this election and and i really i really hope um i really hope we see that well i think that definitely in canberra we will i I say that you know the campaigns feel very strongly about these points in the upcoming election that's what we hear from our listeners yeah as i said before no you shouldn't complain about the quality of candidates this election i've never seen them so strong never seen them so strong I've been uh, keeping an eye on uh, ACT politics mm-hmm. too in a fair while. And even uh, um, there's quite a few Asians running for the Senate. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's four or five Asians. <laughs> well, there's another independent any, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Fuxin Lee, yeah, respect yeah. to him. So there's like, um, that's more than any other jurisdiction in Australia running for the Senate, more more Asians. And we've had problems at the local level, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with the, the Labor Party. The Greens a bit too, you know, could have a bit more ethnic mm-hmm. diversity. Oh, uh, I, our five there. candidates. So we've got the five federal candidates. I myself um, of uh, former Yugoslav background, Eastern European. We've got uh, James Cruz, who's the second yeah, candidate yeah. candidate. So I'm He's a Peruvian. Level, go on, go on. Oh, <laughs> 
technical level. Okay, so James Cruz, he's um, Indigenous Peruvian. Um, he's number two on our uh, Senate ticket. We've got Dr. Janara Gorang-Gorang, who is, of course, a Waka Waka Wooly Wooly woman from um, uh, North Queensland. We've got Tim Hollow. He... Um, He's of Jewish background. He's got a lot of um, ethnic backgrounds, actually. His Section 44 declarations were insane. I actually um, <laughs> called him up for advice on mine. Can, mm-hmm. we, can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, Did you sure. have to yeah. go through Section 44? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you like to let our listeners know what that is if they're not familiar you know with what? it? Yeah. So my yeah, whole family, I'm the only person in my whole entire family mm-hmm. line that was that has been born in a first world country and, you know, Australia. I was born in Albury on Wiradjuri country. Um and, you know, the, the, my parents are from a village, a specific village in the mountains of um, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and that hasn't changed. They've been, you know, in that same place for as long as our family tree goes, you know. Um, the amount of times that place, the country that it's in, has changed names <laughs> is ridiculous. I had to call in a Balkan expert from the ANU to tell me like the years and specifically the months of like what the country was called at the time, just so I can not lie on my um, application mm-hmm. to the AEC. Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. And it actually caused a lot of hurt when I called up my parents yeah, yeah, and yeah. asked them for the dates of, mm-hmm. you know, this and this and that. It, it, co- it brought up that they had to like relive their trauma of, oh, it was called this at the time mm. and you know it, it it's it's really it just really was a really harsh experience for me i don't know wh- how it was for you yeah this is incredible insight that we don't get often on on um on any show mm-hmm. that I've, I've heard really um so uh, natasha is referring to section 44 of the constitution which among other things um uh says that you can't be a dual citizen if you're mm-hmm. Uh, running and also uh, in Parliament uh, caused all sorts of troubles in 2017, 2018. (laughs) So uh, it helps for me that uh, Kim is a constitutional lawyer. (laughs) Uh, But we're both of refugee backgrounds. And I I think what uh, Tasha's getting to is um, this is not just... I mean, there's been obviously a huge commentary on this and I've read a lot of it and a lot of people, including commentators, have said, well... Um, you know what the rules are. You can't complain mm. if you get caught. Uh, and and there was a, a bloke out west who, who's just who's running again. Who's who who had to who was basically um, um, kicked out of parliament. But he didn't. He, it looked like he didn't say anything for three years to mm. me. And anyway, we won't we won't talk about mm-hmm. that. But but the real issue with it is. So I understand. There's a lot of people who just say you don't like politics. You don't like politicians. They should know the rules, and they and they should, particularly mm-hmm. the big parties. They should do due diligence and figure out whether their candidates are eligible. But as as Natasha's pointed out. This is a bad law. This is a really bad law that, that means it closes off doors um, uh, to, for, for representative politics to lots of people and, and digs up awful, awful uh, memories that are totally unnecessary. So, so I'm, I'm sort of like the Josh Frydenberg situation, but, but I think I'll say it generically. Section 44 means that if you're a refugee and, it, and you've run, let's say refugees who've run away from um, their country, their home country, and then found a home in Australia, love Australia, devoted everything to Australia, rebuilt lives here, uh, made um, started up businesses, had kids, all that sort of thing, would love Australia because it saved them more than just about any other Australian. If they want to run, 
in certain circumstances, Section 44 would mean they have to go back to the country that persecuted them. That's likely to maybe harm them. That's right. Mm. And relive that and then say, hey, can you help sort me out and get me some documents and things like that? (laughs) Now, now, really, really, you don't, uh, uh, that's just not on. That's just not on. Yeah, it's been really hard trying to navigate which embassy to to speak with and correspond with and trying to communicate Mm. to them what exactly I need because they probably don't deal with this. Like, how many people run. For, for the federal well, election. Well, this is the new they, trend, right? Yeah. This is the global community we're seeing. But I, right? I will say also in Section 44 is is the reason that I currently can't work um, and that, that I have been out of a job for 15 months because um, there's there's three three parts to Section, section 44. You can't have dual citizenship, which I don't, and I'm... Anyway, <laughs> but the, the extent you have to go to to prove that you don't is what we're talking about today, that it's, it's, it's really invasive and, and hurtful. Um, and then uh, not being under profit from the Crown. So I actually had to uh, seek uh, advice and feedback onto me being on welfare payments. Like, is that considered profit and I was given the all clear that that's mm-hmm. okay but the, do you remember the third the third one is that you can't hold a, a public office so I had to um, step down from my ANU and ABC jobs mm-hmm. but even that is really uh, I don't mind because I can't I don't have time to do them anyway so I wouldn't <laughs> uh, um, but uh, it, it, there are other countries in Europe where you 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 just as you're a public servant when you're a public servant you're almost encouraged mm-hmm. provided you state what party you belong mm-hmm. to you know what I mean? Like uh, we're actually what we're talking about is all the barriers that 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 we put in in front of people so that they don't have a go. Well, then and only the, certain people will get. Yeah, it that's right. right. Who do you end up with? The average age of 50, 51 it is. Uh, yeah. Men that are fifty-one in in parliament—that's yeah. what There's you end a, up with. <laughs> a great art, art exhibition. It's on now in a gallery in Fishwick, and it's portraits of all of our prime ministers going back, you know, to the very first. And it, when you look at this wall, this portrait wall, it's all Caucasian men, mostly with grey hair. And then there's Julia Gillard down the bottom, you know, and that's about it. Yeah, you know, it's good though. Don't yeah, it? but it's, it's like you know, it's a really lovely. Seriously, it's it's, of her. it's like the wallpaper of old white men, basically. And men of means and men of um, privilege. Yeah, and mm. dynasties too. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it is, it is interesting just to sort of look at that when you see that collectively. It's quite impactful. Absolutely. And I'm sure most modern Western countries would probably boast a very similar wall. But you, you, you shouldn't have to be a constitutional lawyer to navigate through yeah, your absolutely. democratic mm-hmm. right to run as a representative of your community in this country. Mm-hmm. It's The papers are inaccessible. They're elitist. Mm-hmm. I mean, applying for Centrelink is elitist. Mm-hmm. Who understands that language? I have to have both uh, language lines uh, you know, to translate because some, you know, it's, it's, I, I think we can do a lot better in terms yeah. of accessibility. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, speaking of Centrelink, that's another thing I wanted to bring up as I know both of you have pretty strong policies on this is, is about, you know, um, raising the rate for job seeker and taking care of the most vulnerable and basically raising them out of poverty and getting them into a place where they can be contributing members of society. You know, they're not just so impoverished they can't bathe themselves and have clean clothes to go to a job interview, let alone a phone that someone might be able to call them on and talk to them about a, a work opportunity. Yeah, the post-COVID recovery is just huge, isn't it? It's just huge. Uh, and it's, it's masked by... And, and I think we're getting more wise on this or how huge it is. Like, we're not just... At the start of the campaign, it was just all about the low unemployment rate. Well, that's actually a furphy. Actually, there's, there's more numbers coming out about how much people are suffering, more stories, as Natasha tells so well, uh, about um, people in our community 
who, who, um, who are going to do it hard, who are doing it hard now, are going to do it hard for a while in all likelihood. Um, so we've, um, yeah, so, uh, uh, so Kim's been really strong on that post-COVID uh, recovery and not leaving anyone behind, mm-hmm. not leaving, listening to people, not leaving um, anyone behind. And the Greens are good with that too. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. We'd like to raise the rate to at least $88 a day. Um, yeah, I, I just, it's, it, it really hurts me personally knowing that people are living in such well, you're, li- you're living it, right? Yes, I am. You're, actually, I am you're a prime it. example of what we've just talked about. There. Yeah, I suppose. But I, I guess I still mentally haven't um, accepted it within myself uh, that <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure it'll be okay. I'm, I'm in what you call transitional poverty. So at the moment, it's not looking so good for me. But I'm sure after the election, there'll be plenty of opportunities and I'll have more time and that'll be okay. But there's a lot of people that are kind of stuck Mm-hmm. in this situation and as I spoke earlier the, the one I've speaking, spoken to a lot of people um, in mm-hmm. Fenner but the one story that stuck with me was that mother of four children mm-hmm. who you know who all her kids and including herself are on welfare and she's using most of that to pay rent I mean we need we need so much to change so that you know people people should have the right mm. to a roof over their heads to, to mm. basic income mm. to, to be able to you know feed their children to, you, it's well we saw during the, um, the the COVID supplement that was paid yeah, right. and then um, there was payments to businesses and various other COVID payments that happened during the lockdown and just after how much that injected into our economy and how many stories they were I'm sure you've heard them all mm. of people whose lives were just like you described who were suddenly able to afford medical care who were suddenly able to feed their children properly who could suddenly buy their kids new shoes to go to school. You know, we're talking about yeah, really yeah. basic things. And it's that, that, that's that money that's responsible for whatever recovery we've had. You know, yeah, yeah. it's not um, various tax breaks <coughs> that are on the way too. But, uh, yeah. Mm. No, no. You know, that is, it is hard to see because, you know, we, those of us that um, people listening who know Canberra and they know the Griffin Centre where our studio is, there's a, a lot of services for the vulnerable in this building. And when you walk into the building to come up here and do a show, we walk past people sleeping yeah. rough every time we come into the studio. And we go out, we walk past all the people lined up for the food kitchen on the way out, on mm. the back end of the show. So it's, it's really evident in a city like Canberra that's so wealthy and that has so many opportunities for people that we've still got extreme poverty and that mm. poverty is not being addressed because we also live in the country that has the most unaffordable housing mm. for rentals. Yeah. And yet we're a, so you know, Server Anglicare said there's not a single, single home for rent advertised that is affordable to anyone on social security payments right now. Not one in the whole of Canberra. So yeah. that's, that's Something's really tragic. Something's got to give for sure. Yeah. I mean, um, Minister Rebecca Bazzarotti, um has been doing a lot of work in this locally, mm. but I think nationally we need, we can do mm. a lot more mm. because every person in Australia should have access to affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, it's, this is not the country that... And safe housing, yeah, you know, even absolutely. this affordable government housing that's not safe for elderly, that's not safe for vulnerable mm. people as well. That's a, you know... Difficult situations, even when you provide housing, is it housing that's going to be safe and suitable for that particular individual? I have a lot of friends who are in government housing and they tell me some of the stories of what they have to deal with and they fear they fear for their physical well-being walking to their door. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's actually interrelated with safety issues, interrelated with health issues. It's actually, my sense is that it's, it's cheaper to provide good housing for people mm. because they end up in the health system. Uh, I've been... Uh, um, and so it causes, because it causes so much stress uh, to to not have a roof over mm-hmm. your head, and to, 
Uh, I've been doing it. Um, I have a wonderful uh, little discussion group at the early morning center just over there. We just talk about what's in the news. I've been doing it for years. I was obviously hit by COVID a bit, but uh, um, I'm so I'm enriched by them almost every week. You know, ride by there, we have a little wave, but also I'm struck by that almost ubiquitously the mental health issues are integrated with rough sleeping you know either yeah. because they were there before mm. if they weren't there before you sleep rough for a while they're going to be there after mm. so we can really mm. stop that rot earlier mm. uh, and get some good uh, options in place and pathways yeah. in place for people it'll make us a better society it'll make and it'll be cheaper mm. yeah. uh, by a big margin i, I think, definitely agree yeah well, the, the greens have a lot of policies in preventative measures to, to kind of stop things getting so worse and one of those includes our dental in medicare mm. policy which i am absolutely proud of um my parents are gonna hate me for saying this but <laughs> they don't have their real teeth mm -hmm. they didn't have oral hygiene in uh you know bosnia they didn't have that education they're from a village you know on a mountain mm. they didn't know mm. So I, they, they kind of brought me up um, really prioritising my teeth. They say, you know, teeth are worth mm -hmm. more than gold. You, mm -hmm. you only get one set. You know, mm -hmm. you really need to look after it. And, um, uh, and, you know, lucky for me, you know, growing up, we had that, um, you know, the, the Medicare will offset, you know, mm -hmm. children getting their teeth done. And I know last time the Greens um, were in government with Labor, mm -hmm. last time there was a hung parliament, yeah. we kind of passed... Um, some like dental care um, policies and that's been really helpful to people like me but I, I know a lot of people you know that uh, are putting off going to the dentist because it costs a lot and they're really worried but you know if, if you look after your teeth that will prevent a lot of um, chronic health issues as well. When so you, you look at situations like the US, right, where medical is unaffordable for anybody mm. without insurance. Um, and you can go to any um, place of trade where there's maybe like a minimum wage person working there and almost everybody you'd meet in that situation has very poor teeth. Mm. And it's been stated that, you know, by various community leaders that they can tell the economic status of an individual just by looking at their teeth. You know, so that's such an issue. Like we have listeners in the UK who um, are shocked that Australia <laughs> doesn't have affordable, accessible dental for everybody. They do have dental covered in the UK. And when I was chatting to somebody the other day, they said, oh, they can't believe it. They can take their child, their family member to the dentist for any needed care anytime. And they were shocked that a country as modern and as wealthy as Australia didn't have that policy. Mm. Mm. So one of the things that's driving an awful lot of the problems in the world and um, and is ubiquitous across most political parties is the support for economic growth. And mm. so economic growth is exponential growth on a finite planet. And in my opinion, it's just not compatible with sustainable civilization on the planet. What are, what are your various uh, takes on economic growth? Because it's a slightly controversial one to take. Mm. <laughs> The, uh, well, um, you want me to go or you? Oh, I was just going to say tax the billionaires. Well, yes, we, I, we have heard that whispered by... Whispered? Okay, let me yell it. Tax the billionaires and corporations. I am so upset with income inequality. I mean, you know, you're right. The economic, uh, sorry, progress is, you know, just keep, keep producing, keep producing, and that is not sustainable. 
cool, but like the people that are producing and getting all this money are the rich. They're getting richer and richer, and they're only getting richer by exploiting us down here who are unable to afford dental care. I just, it's, you know, we need to tax tax the billionaires. They need to pay up. They need to stop exploiting us. Well, that's like Jeff Bezos thanking his uh, minimum wage starving workers for funding his rocket jaunt into space. What a poo face. Yeah, he did that. <laughs> what an absolute so face. And his wife. No, can we talk about his ex-wife, Mackenzie uh, Scott, who, you know, recently got married. You know, when she, when they divorced, she got, what, like 50 billion or something. And then she's like pledged, like, you know, signed up to the giving pledge where she's going to give away like most of her wealth before she dies, blah, blah, blah. She gives out like 6 billion or like 3 billion at a time to all these, you know, 401, whatever, you know, which means that she can claim it back yeah, yeah. on tax like it can offset her but every time i google her and her net worth after she's you know donated she's you know more? six billion she's worth more yeah, yeah she's yeah. worth more and i'm thinking <laughs> what is going on like everyone's <laughs> celebrating her this amazing you know woman who's donating you know billions at a time and yet she's getting more rich because of her no, she's shares just, she's just then, figured out where the tax write-offs are right, right like <laughs> stop it people are struggling but, you know, you're dealing with people who don't think like everybody in this room, right? Like, say, if I'm going to make a blanket statement, you're dealing with a whole bunch of sociopaths at that level, and they're not particularly yeah. interested in helping for the greater good. Right? I should say, Kim and I are both from small business families. <laughs> I've worked in that bakery for 15 years of my life. So we're for capitalism, mm-hmm. but the, the profits have to be fairly shared mm-hmm. to the people. Um, yeah. who contributed to it, you know. So we, we really focus on small to business, medium business. We like startups. Uh, you know, uh, we like that's the sort of engine room of a, an economy as far as we're concerned, you know. So um, I'm sure Kim would agree. We're not against capitalism, but... Uh, and it's not against capitalism. It's against, it's against greed. Uh, yeah, and exploitation. Greed and, and unethical exploitation. I don't have anything against small businesses. I love small businesses and I support them. I mostly shop at small businesses. Um, it's... It's not that. It's 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 all these corporations that aren't paying any tax mm-hmm. in Australia, especially. How come, you know, I was just looking at my ATO app earlier and I've, you know, not earned much money this financial mm-hmm. year so far. So I'll be getting a lot of my tax back. But I'm thinking even then... I'm still paying more tax yep. than all these big corporations in Australia. And I'm like, how is that fair? And I'm sure, you know, your small businesses Well, because businesses they write the rules for themselves, No, right? thank you. Yeah. Let's stop that. Let's put an end to that. Let's make them pay their fair share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's- well, that, I think there is something we can do at that level. I, I've really thought about this for a while. Like, I'm not making a lot of money either, but I'm, a, like, I'm from the middle class. I'm totally comfortable, but I'm amazed at... Um, about how much people desire stuff, you know. We, I reckon even our everyday lives, we can just put, just have a, a, a take a breath, and 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 figure out what's important to us, and not be on that that hamster wheel of of in, you know what I mean. It's it is about keeping big business to account. Don't get me wrong, that's right up there. I'm not about to poo poo on people who want to buy, <laughs> you know, one thing or another off the internet. You know. Okay, but, but, but Jeff Bezos is a poo poo. Yeah. yeah okay. Can you say that on radio, please? <laughs> yes. Well, I'll. Uh, I'll uh... <laughs> but no, that is yeah. the thing. Like you, what you're talking about here is is taking money from the billionaire class to fund yeah, yeah. social services, right? That 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 uh, for the greater good, for the need of 
the majority, right? Like healthcare. We're talking about, okay, people say, oh, we can't afford this, or we can't afford that. We can afford nuclear submarines, but we can't afford healthcare. We can afford um, to give the coal barons all of these um, incentives and grants, well, we can, but we, we can't. We can give them all of our coal and they yeah, can make yeah, yeah. profits from it. And then, and then all the water that's up in the Artesian Basin that's yeah, been given yeah. to the fracking, you know, we can, we can go on about this for ages. But, mm. and then, but we can't afford the most basic things. We can't afford to raise people out of, you know, that are like less than halfway below the poverty line. We can't afford to mm. do things that make our community a safer, healthier community. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's related to our political system. That's yeah. why... Um, that's why uh, we really are for independence in Kim for Canberra. I think that's it's not the, the sole solution, uh, but um, I think they're the sort of people who will say, stop, stop, this is, yeah. this is just not going to happen, yeah. you know. Um, it's not going to work this way anymore. Uh, I think that's just critically important. Well, on that topic, I'd just like to share, um, if both of you are open to this, uh, we had a listener question come through last night, and it's quite relevant oh, cool, to what yeah. we're talking about. Um, and this comes from Josh Brown, and Josh is asking, um, if you are elected, how will you influence change in your society's negative, per- uh, negative perception of people who receive welfare, and what would be your plan to change the system so that it's more engaging and effective for those recipients? Thank you. That's a really awesome question. And thanks, Josh Brown. Shout out to you. Thanks for asking this question. Um, personally, when I'm out and about in Fenner, I haven't heard much. Um, I've heard of, of, of negative connotations of people on welfare. I've heard from people on welfare that are really struggling. Um, and it's not their fault. It's, it's the system's fault. And we need to help them and we need to change the system. And that's something that can be done. Poverty is a political choice. Uh, I think that, unfortunately, with with the media, I suppose people are very, um, like, absorbing of, of what is portrayed about people in welfare in the media. And I, and I just think that narrative needs to change. These are, these are people, these are Australians, these are our, these are our you know, comrades that are you know, really struggling and, and we can help them. I think we, we can change the narrative on it to make it seem like an opportunity, like, hey, let's charge the billionaires some tax so that um, these people don't have to be on welfare. I think I think we need to change the narrative of boo people on welfare to why are they on welfare? How dare we let them down that they have to be on welfare because I, a lot of people that I met that are on welfare don't want to be on it. They were forced into it. I think we need to help well, everyone. COVID, the prime example. Yeah, right? but I think yeah. I think it's it's hard to kind of umbrella it like that. They they need help on a case by case basis. And I think if we just had people sit down and kind of give them a leg up, these people are just needing a leg up. So I think we need to change the narrative of of kind of making people understand why these people are in such dire situations and what we can do. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your question, Josh. Mm. I think getting, uh, thanks, Josh, too. I think getting the services, as, mm. as Natasha's referred to, mm. is paramount. But if we're talking about the, the conversation and the mm. uh, negative uh, views of people on mm. welfare in the broader discussion, mm. then uh, I'd add uh, to what Natasha said that mm. getting more women in, in Parliament mm. would make a big difference, just mm. change. I mean, I'm not going to essentialise what a woman is. You know, mm. That's not what I'm talking about, but mm. rather... But it does make a difference. Mm. It does make a difference too how we talk about who belongs in Australia. Mm. Do you know what I mean? If, if there are more, more diversity and more women in particular, I think that would change the conversation. It w- I'm not saying that'd be automatically all nurturing and it'd be great. Uh, and we're not regard, talking about the women that play better, the boys' game. Then blokes just, talking yeah. about, yeah, yeah, look at that. Yeah. 
God, look, I've stopped these. I've done that. I've done it all myself. That sort of stuff. You know what I mean? I feel that inherited myself too. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm being. I've spent a lot of time being critical of, of that in myself uh, too. So I, I think. Um, I think. And I've just mentioned that Kim is the co-director when she's not running for the Senate of the Fifty Fifty Foundation. I think that would make um, quite a difference, Josh. Well, that's a wonderful question. Thanks, Josh. Um, and we do have a ca question that we have been asked um, in the very beginning of this series to ask all of our candidates that we have on the show. Um, and there's some people who are concerned about how, not so much in the ACT, but how some of the other states handled the mandates and the lockdowns. And they're asking, um, what is your stance on vaccine mandates and the freedom to choose whether or not to take the shot without risk of losing your job, being barred from visiting loved ones in hospitals and aged care facilities, etc., accessing services and being segregated within society. Thanks, Kim. Always passing the question on to me. <laughs> Hard question, I can right? tell you have a lot of radio one, two, one, experience yeah. because you, you just know how to like control the room and <laughs> no, no, no. We're getting you. tips from Kim right now. We're watching what he's oh, doing. Wow. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, sorry about that. Yes. Yeah, no, I think this really needs to be dealt with a lot of compassion. <laughs> I've spoken to a lot of people from refugee backgrounds mm -hmm. who have escaped um, from their countries and you know their governments when their governments have been quite you know, um, persecuting them mm. and they can't trust their government. Mm. So I can understand from that aspect as to why some people um, don't feel comfortable taking the vaccine at this stage. Mm. Um, what I personally have been doing is trying to encourage um, people and kind of answering any questions they may have or concerns they may have about the vaccine. I personally am triple vaxxed and... Um, but I, I think this really needs to be dealt with a lot of compassion and instead of um, kind of judging people as to whether they are vaxxed or not, I think I think we need to sit down and listen to why and really kind of, yeah, I think there's a lot we can understand from mm -hmm. this. this. This has been a very divisive issue um, across Australia and there's been a lot of hate I've seen on, on the internet and a lot of people that worried and haven't you know been treated very well based on whether they are or aren't so yeah this is this is something we could all probably mm. learn from mm. Mm. thanks kim it's similar to climate change isn't it as i listen to natasha it's getting the science right is 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 not even half of it. it's getting the politics and the communications right after that mm. and that involves not just it can get a bit preachy sometimes the latter half and and i really concur with natasha that um, there, there are fights to be out there. We're, we're just not going to agree. But a lot of the time on these and other issues, um, it's a, uh, um, there's more value and it's, there's a possibility in consensus building and understanding and learning from each other, even if it's, it's a high-stakes issue. Like, this is a high-stakes issue. It's health. It's the health of our, of our bodies as individuals and as, as our community and, and of our country, you know. Uh, but because the stakes are so high... I think um, that empathy, that listening, mm -hmm. that good politics is even more important mm. once you've got the science in place. Mm. But it's hard. It's hard because we're in a post-truth world in many ways and our social media, you know, that's why I understand too. It's not easy because these people, I've got mates who, are, who, who don't necessarily believe in, in vaccines and, and are very hesitant. Mm. Um, and, and, and they're locked in this silo of, of uh, incredible silo that, that, that makes me question whether I'm locked in another silo, which is only fair too. But, but at least I'm questioning. We've got to find a way for them to start questioning and connect with others. Yeah. 
uh, I think. So yeah. the, the comms, the politics is so important yeah. uh, after we get the science right. And I think for the, the folks that are, this is, we actually interviewed the folks from the Freedom Protest when they first yeah, right. came to Canberra. This is where this question comes from. Um, and a lot of the people there were um, people that had held fairly um, highly responsible jobs like first responders and airline pilots and military and a lot of people who were forced to, um, or were made redundant. They were forced to choose between their job and taking the vaccine and they chose not to take the vaccine. So this is, this is the question that they were struggling with was, you know, we've got now these critical services um, are hugely understaffed and they're under tremendous pressure. Like we heard of all the crisis with the ambulance service in New South Wales and Sydney, not being able to respond to calls because they haven't got enough paramedics. And you've got all these paramedics who aren't allowed to work because they haven't taken the shot. So this is, this is one of the questions they were really interested to know with the candidates, with their stance, whether they would be permitted that freedom of choice but if you were elected. With vulnerable people all the time mm. and if they're infected then with COVID mm-hmm. or anything, mm. um, but particularly mm. with COVID. And it's interesting because a lot of these people work in healthcare. You know, they work I'm in healthcare themselves. You know? So I, mean, I guess their position is someone who works in healthcare and working with vulnerable people and people who've had adverse vaccine reactions. This was their exposure to this, I guess, was greater than the average person of... Mm seeing the results of, of what's happening. I mean, we are going to run out of time, so oh. um, would people be able to forward you questions that we haven't Absolutely. been able to get to today if they'd want to ask a few things that we couldn't get to on the show? Absolutely. Yeah. Send Spam me. <laughs> spam Send you. me like a million emails. And where, okay, where should they spam you guys? If they want to spam you guys, how do they find you? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how to use social media, so info at uh, kimforcambra.com.au. Okay, wonderful. Okay, well, mine is my email, which um, my name is Ethnic, so let me spell it out. <laughs> N-A-T-A-S-A, full stop, S-O-J-I-C, at act.greens.org.au. Or you can DM me on Instagram, Tash underscore S-O-J-I-C. Or you can just come up to me at a store. I'm everywhere all the time. And I have to say, you're wearing an amazing T-shirt, Natasha. Will you tell us about the T-shirt before we go today? Thank you so much. So when I was pre-selected, I was so excited. And the the beautiful, my beautiful friends at the University of Canberra Greens group were really excited for me as well. And they started making me all this art. And here's a silhouette that I'm... Emily Wright uh, drew of me and then I thought hey that's really cool I'm going to put it on a t-shirt and stickers and mugs and everything and just give it out to people so yeah it's been a lot of fun Um, I like that you're wearing some purple in that yeah (laughs) yeah it's my it's it's my um, outfit yeah I had a really hard time. I don't own anything purple. I own lots of green stuff. And I was like, oh, I feel like I'm being, you know, partisan here. No, you're cool. (laughs) Cool. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. And if people want to host yard signs, um, because I know you're not doing core flutes, but if they wanted to put a yard sign in their front yard, how should they do that? Go about doing that? Just the same content? Yeah, check out the Kim for Canberra website. And And contact the ACT Greens. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and Radio Behind the Lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative Commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. 
Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XXFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A.org.au Or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new, appropriate economy. Thanks.